I literally would talk to myself in the mirror at the beginning of each day and say, you got this corner. Come on now. Your mistakes, from ye- your, your mistakes from yesterday are not who you are in totality. They were mistakes. Today's another day to do something different. You are not what those people say you are. You are who you want to be, right? Like they, and it's, it was a constant reminder. And I know this sounds weird to be talking to yourself, but like that's literally what it took for me. I had to say that in the mirror to myself. And then therapy, right? Therapy was huge for me to have somebody else to also remind me like, why do you feel that way? Where does that come from? And what you end up realizing is that it comes from false narratives. <laughs> mm. your, your view of who you are comes from complete false narratives, right? Um, so that, that was my journey and really keeping up with it. And now, ooh, I love myself. Love myself. And not in a cocky, egotistical way, in a confident manner in which we all should see ourselves, right? I know I'm imperfect. I don't believe in perfection, Right? But I believe in always trying to do my best. Mm. I don't always achieve it, but I work really hard to do it. And, and, and that counts and that matters. How we doing out there, folks? This is your host with the most, Kenny Vaughn. I play for Team Breakline, and I'm joined once again, my partner in crime. What is up, everybody? It is Sophia. I also play for Team Breakline. And welcome back to the Breakline Arena. Are you excited to be back in the arena? How, do we, how are we feeling? How is life you treating us? absolutely know that this is my favorite place to be, KB. So, oh, yes, man. I am excited to share this episode with all of our faithful listeners. Well, I tell you what, this is a great one to share because I feel like with this episode, we get a chance to step into the intersection of some pretty cool things that have been top of mind for a lot of us as of late. With this conversation with Cornell Verdeja Woodson, who is the Director of Diversity, Equity, Inclusion at Headspace, soon to be Headspace Health, hopefully with their merger with Ginger, we get a chance to sit in the intersection of race, mental health, in the tech industry. And it is just such a fascinating conversation that we were able to have with him. For those of you unfamiliar with Headspace, it is a mindfulness and meditation app. If you haven't checked it out, it is absolutely phenomenal. Their mission is to improve health and happiness of the world. Absolutely love the mission. Sophia, I would love to hear what were your major takeaways from this conversation with Cornell? He dropped so many pearls of wisdom. What were some of your takeaways? Yeah, well, Kenny, one of the most insightful parts definitely for me was you were kind of probing a little bit about specifically, you know, his management style in certain situations, especially when he's working with a diverse team. And he was reflecting on that Brene Brown quote about how fear really drives how we engage with one another. And so he was describing how when he is interacting with folks from a a ton of different backgrounds and trying to learn kind of what makes them tick and how to make teams more cohesive while also being respectful of folks' backgrounds, he always, you know, he talks about how he sits back and is like, what am I afraid of happening? You know, what tools, what skills do I have, do I not have to make sure that he's showing up as as the best leader he can be. And I think that that space allows, one, himself to show himself grace. Like, I'm not always going to navigate these situations perfectly, but I'm coming, I'm approaching this situation, you know, really with a lot of room for growth and the opportunity to learn about others, which is really at the heart of diversity and inclusion. Mm. 
So that was one of my favorite parts of the conversation as well. And what I really loved about this conversation is I feel like this topic is so applicable regardless of where you are in the organization, whether you're so true. Yeah. an individual contributor, whether you're a supervisor, whether you're the CEO. Like, I hope everyone gets a chance to listen to this conversation because there are so many themes that we all are navigating on a day-to-day basis, whether it's mental health, whether it's trying to find psychological safety, whether it's just trying to just build a place where people feel empowered. Like, mm. This is such an important conversation for us to have. And I think particularly as we're starting to have more broad conversations about the importance of mental health, about sustaining ourselves, not only physically, but mentally and spiritually, that we need the tools to be able to do that. And Mm -hmm. when I tell you Cornell does a phenomenal job of giving some very practical, practical, implementable advice This conversation is spot on. So thank you, Mr. Cornell, for coming through and just blazing the arena. Blaze it. Because this is such an important conversation. So on that note, I don't know about you, Sophia, but maybe we should just go ahead and give the listeners what they came here for. I think we should get to it. All right, folks, we will see you on the other side. Cornell, how you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm ready. <laughs> oh, well, I tell you what, I'm excited about this conversation for a number of reasons. But for those of our listeners who might not know who you are just yet, because they about to find out, for those of our listeners who might not know who you are, I would love if you could just share a quick intro about yourself and the work that you're doing. Yeah, well, you know, as you said, I'm, my name is Cornell Verdeja Woodson. I am the Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at Headspace, the mental health app or the mindful uh, meditation app, but also the founder and CEO of a boutique diversity consulting firm called Brave Trainings. And I'm based in San Leandro, California, live here with my husband and our two dogs, London and Rome. Well, I, I appreciate you making the time, and I particularly want to appreciate you today because for those listeners who might not be in the know, Today is a very important day for all the players on Team Headspace. Heard there's some exciting news about a potential merger with with Headspace and Ginger. So this has got to be exciting times. Uh What's what's the energy like? What's the atmosphere like at Headspace right now? Oh, the energy is, whoo, it's high. It's high. You know, I think that this merger, I know that this merger is really going to help us realize our vision of improving the health and happiness of the world and and definitely making sure that we're focusing on historically excluded groups and really bringing mindfulness and mental health to as many people as possible. So this is a great time for us and we're pumped about that. So I couldn't think of a more fitting time for this conversation. I'm not going to lie to you. When you accepted the invitation to come speak on our podcast, I just felt like I knew this was about to be an amazing conversation because we're at such an interesting intersection in time right now. And there are so many different factors in play that impact us on a day-to-day life. Mental health is an issue that is top of mind for so many reasons, whether you're looking at the Olympic Games with some of the athletes like Naomi Osako, Simone Biles, mental health is top of mind. We're in the midst of a global pandemic, so... Whether you're a world-class athlete or you're just trying to show up to work and do your part, 
this is such an important topic right now. So would love to hear your thoughts as someone who is in this space as to what the feeling is right now. What what are you seeing from your perspective as someone who's in this space on a day-to-day basis professionally? Yeah, you know, this is a great question. And I think there's there's a mixed emotions, right? There's on one end sheer excitement that finally the attention is being given to the conversation around mental health um, and mental health on a, on a broad level, but particularly mental health amongst people of color, men, right? And things that sort of who historically have not accessed mental health services and, and, and tools to really pay attention to that. So it's really exciting. But I think on the other hand, it's also sad about what it took to get us here, right? It took a pandemic. It took the murder of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Tony McDade, right, for mental health to become something that we're really heavily focusing on. But we're going to use this opportunity to really uh, dig deep and dig and dot, double click into this work and making sure that we're getting people access to the services that they need. Mm. So, so I love that response. And what I can already tell I'm going to love about this conversation is we about to just dive into some things. We about to keep it yes, one. I'm ready. We about to keep it one hundred for our listeners because that's what they here for. Absolutely. Um, I worked out today. Got my coffee. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I think I think you bring up such a great point in terms of the sense of urgency that a lot of us probably feel right now. As I think about the Breakline community, we serve such a special community that historically has been underserved, underselected, under-networked and under-resourced. So we're working with veterans, we're working with women, we're working with people of color. And so I know even for myself, at times there have been right, wrong, or indifferent stigmas around the the topic of mental health, especially the need to be able to raise your hand and ask for help. So for all of our listeners who may be tuning into this week's podcast, would love to hear how Headspace is helping break down some of those stigmas and just your words of wisdom for people who may be on the fence debating on whether or not they have the strength to ask for that help they may need. Yeah, I think one of the things I love about Headspace is that we're really into educating ourselves about what the barriers are, the barrier to entry, if you will, right, for different groups. And so we have a partnership with Dove Men's Care, right, to really access, to get in front of men and really begin having a conversation about this topic. But we're we're doing the due diligence to understand what is the barrier? Why haven't they historically accessed mental health? We're doing the same thing for, you know, Asian people and Latinx people and black people to understand this so that we can build with them in mind and we're being intentional about making sure that we understand the different groups that exist within the world so that we can be better designers of the content and of the product and the app experience in general and then I think we're also really being intentional about how we make sure to build authentic relationships right because this is you know yes we are a business but this isn't just about the the money making this is about really changing the world Right. And getting people access to mental health services is a part of changing society. And so we're really excited about that. The wisdom that I would instill on folks is one that I had to instill on myself because mental health wasn't always a topic for me either. Right. I'd be like, no, I'm good. I'm fine. I just got to keep working. I just got to, you know, focus on getting this done. And it was the pandemic that made me go, you know what? I need to slow down. I need to take time for myself and recognizing that mindfulness isn't just about sitting in silence and you know, the stereotypical ways in which people view it, 
it's whatever self-care looks like for you. So for me, it's starting my day in my hot tub for 30 minutes <laughs> in my backyard and sitting in silence, right? And letting the heat you know, you know, take over my skin. It's sitting on my couch in silence with my dogs, right? Pet, you know, and just petting them as they're waking up or throwing the toy with, with Rome, right? That's my mindfulness, right? That helps me recenter and get more in tune with myself. So figuring out what that means for you, that self-care, that's what we're talking about. Mm, so as a veteran, I spent 13 years in the military. And what I can tell you is that I don't think I personally heeded that warning that you just shared with our listeners in a deeply impactful way until I made my transition out of the military. And I think one thing that I would want to just impart upon our listeners is, you know, there are these inflection points in life. And for our breakline community, we, we have a community that is, is typically at a career pivot or a career transition. And that's a highly mm -hmm. stressful period. I don't care who you are. That can be a highly stressful period. And for me, that was the first time in my life that I had to raise the mm -hmm. hand and seek the resources, right? And yeah, I had to seek absolutely. out that, that counseling. And you know, the crazy part about it is, is I think I'm definitely one of those type of people that prides myself in being able to course correct and try to work my way out of situations. I couldn't work my way out of this particular yeah. situation, right? In terms of yeah. the stress and the complexity yes. and all of the anxieties yes. around the uncertainty. So I really just yep. wanted to, to double click on what you said in the need to be a proactive participant in this self-help journey, yeah. right? Absolutely, absolutely. And not only, you know, because therapy and mindfulness and self-care, all those things aren't just when we need it. It's also when we're doing great. Like even today, I, had, I woke up, I had a, I'm having a great day. I'm going to still go take care of myself. I'm going to still go talk to my therapist. I'm going to still go do some meditation because it's about maintenance as well. The other thing I would impart on your listeners, too, is, to, you know, some people are very, you know, they're particularly those who are probably listening. We're taught not to think about ourselves and we're thought to spend most of our time to think of others. And so I say, fine, then think of others when you think about taking care of yourself. Right. Because the better we are, the better we're able to show up for our loved ones, our children, our partners, our, our jobs, right, our community and things that sort. When we take care of ourselves and take the time to decompress, to de-stress, right, to work out, sleep, whatever that may be, we show up better for those around us. Mm, we got to put our own, like they say on the airplane, safety message. You got to put your mask on first. Put your, put your mask on first. Exactly. And, and it's actually one of the tenets of Buddhism. Our founder, Andy, is, you know, as people may know, is a uh, former uh, Buddhist and one of the biggest pieces that mindfulness and meditation isn't selfish actually you're actually thinking about how you're connecting better with Come others on. for a better society so it's a win-win situation I feel like we're getting into some sauce right now we're getting saucy yeah I think so I think so <laughs> I want to take it. us back a little bit. I want to take us back a little bit because uh -huh. I know we dove straight into business, but would love to hear a little yep. bit more about your personal journey, how you ended up in this space. One of the things that I love about this, you know, this particular podcast is we really want people to identify and see themselves in our guests. Mm -hmm. And you are sitting at the intersectionality 
of so many different identities. And would love to hear just some more thoughts about how you've navigated both your early career, just starting off in the education space and then pivoting into tech, yep. you know, with, with the various identities that you navigate the world in. Yeah. So, so, you know, let me be clear. So I identify as a black cisgendered gay man. Right. And so those are identities that I, I, I bring to the table and, and those identities are both historically excluded but also historically privileged, right? And so navigating both those those spaces is really important. The, the awareness of both those spaces and my navigation of it is super critical, you know, and it has been difficult, right? Because this work is not really work. It's personal, right? I got into diversity, equity, inclusion mm. work because of being a black gay man, right? But I also got into it because I wanted to create a world that was better for those who are historically excluded that I'm not even a part of. Trans people, women, people with disabilities and things that sort. And so this is about collective liberation for me. And so when it's personal, you the emotion is a little bit harder to take out of it, right? Because this isn't just a paycheck for me. This I don't I don't sign off of this laptop at the end of the day and then go about my business. This comes with me when I sleep. I had to I had to listen to one of our sleep casts last night because my mind was just roaming with the things that I want to get done, right? So it's been incredibly personal. So yeah, as you said, I started off in education and really working at in higher education. Well, actually taught ninth through 12th grade English. And that's really where this all began because I was helping my colleagues understand what belonging looks like in the classroom. And how do you cater to different needs within the classroom? And then moved on into higher education, working at NYU and Cornell University and working with those, you know, faculty, staff and students to think about how do we create a space that truly can be a space for all of us to not just survive, but to thrive. Because women, people of color, queer people, people with disabilities were just surviving. They weren't, we're not thriving in those spaces that weren't built for us. So it's, it's difficult, but it's also extremely rewarding when you have people go, this space was made better or I had a better experience because you were here and we're doing the work that you're doing. Mm, so prior to joining Breakline, I was actually the director of diversity admissions at the United States Military Academy for four years. Mm -hmm. I'm now serving as the director of APEX here at Breakline, specifically for our vertical of, of people of color. And as a fellow DE&I practitioner, I just agree wholeheartedly with your sentiment yeah. in terms of, it's a passion project, right? And I yeah. think, yeah. especially as someone who identifies with the communities that you're serving, and even the communities that you, that you don't necessarily identify directly with, there's, such, there's so many parallels, right? There's so many parallels yeah. between Absolutely. the struggles that we face and the challenges that we're all trying to navigate. And so to hear you just Absolutely. share how you've kind of embodied it and embraced it and made it part of your being, that's very mm -hmm. powerful to hear. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate you just taking a moment to share yeah. that with us. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that I wanted to take a little bit of a deeper dive into is, you know, the, the role of chief diversity officer, diversity, equity, inclusion, diversity, equity, and belonging. This, the, these are some newer positions that have really started to pick up momentum over the past three to, uh, three to five years. Can, you, can right. you give a little bit more insight into your roles, responsibilities, what your day-to-day -day looks like, the type of things that are top of mind for you as you're trying to shape 
the culture and you're trying to shape the experience of employees at Headspace? Yeah. You know, some of the ways I look at this role is subject matter expert, internal coach, internal consultant, right? That is embedded into the business to help senior leaders understand how to embed DEI into every aspect of the business. So I spend a lot of time educating, a lot of time having conversations, a lot of time looking at data and really determining where our, our hot spots are, where areas of opportunity are, where are we doing well so we can celebrate those um, and use that as a model for look at what we were able to do when we chose to center DEI in what we do. Can right? I pause you real um, quick? So data, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because you just said something interesting, and this is something that we espouse to here uh-huh. at Breakline Education is we are a very outcomes-based organization. And so you yes. you mentioned the use of, of, of data. And yeah. I just, if you can unpack that a little bit more, because a lot of people out there are in this space, you know, they'll, they'll make a, a, a press release, you know, they'll have a social media campaign. But then at the end of the day, some folks ain't going to have the receipts. And so right. I, I just want right. to, I would love if you could pause for a moment and just share in more depth the importance of the data, of tracking what your, your expectations are, and then just the accountability piece behind it. Yeah, you know, I think that oftentimes DEI work is done out of just emotion or fear, or, and well, fear is an emotion, right? So just emotion. So we end up doing this because we're getting a lot of feedback from people or we don't, don't want to not be a company organization that's doing this, which isn't really, in my opinion, a good motivator for actually sustaining the effort, right? So while what you're doing may be good, it doesn't sustain. What sustains and what tells us what we should be focusing on is the data. That tells the story. Right. That tells us where the real hotspots. Here's an example. There are a lot of organizations that will do and have been doing gender equity work for quite some time. Right. But when you look at who benefits most from gender equity work is usually white women. Right. But have we looked at the data on the forefront before we designed the gender equity initiative? We would see that actually it's women of color. It's trans women. Right. Who are most uh, uh, impacted by sexism in the workplace. And so without that data, you're, you, you, you risk the, the, the opportunity or lose the opportunity to focus on the right things that really can move the needle. And then, and then there's also the consistent assessing of are, we, it, it, are, are the interventions that we've designed, are they working? Are they moving us in the right direction? It doesn't matter if, if we're incremental progress, are we going in the right direction? Because at, t- at some point you may have to go, oh, that's not working. We got to pivot to something else. The data will tell us that. And so I always have to back myself up with, with everything with, with data to show whether it's working or whether it's not. Um, and so that's why it has to be, in my opinion, at the center of everything that we do. So, And data also means qualitative as well, right? So focus groups, the narrative, the stories that people tell. So it's not just, you know, your glint surveys, your engagement surveys, but it is also what are the themes that are coming out of what people are saying about their experience working in your organization or things that sort. So in terms of best practices, because I think there are a lot of leaders who are hopefully going to listen to this, this conversation in terms of best practices, whether you're at a large corporation or you're, you know, you're at a startup, what are some things that you should be looking at 
in order to make your organization a more diverse, a more inclusive team for people to join. Mm-hmm. I think before any organization makes public announcement, public statements, or any kind of declaration of what we're going to do, we've got to understand where we currently are. Like, how bad is it? And why are we here in the first place? Because it's the why that we're here in the first place that will continue to be a barrier even when you decide to do the work, right? Because if we're not addressing that the bias that happens or the lack of accountability that happens, none, none of this will ever be successful. I've worked with and worked at so many organizations that are putting in the resources and the effort to do it, but they're not addressing what got us here in the, in the first place. And they're not truly weeding out those things so they owe, they continue to be barriers along the way, you, right? Accountability is the missing uh, ingredient in the recipe. You saying we got to do a root cause analysis? <laughs> a root cause analysis, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, right? And we got to be honest about it because people are. I find that people take such a uh, the the term kumbaya comes to mind, but like we don't want to point fingers and we don't want to make people feel like it's not intentionally making people feel like crap and well, yeah. shaming and guilting. But it's calling a spade a spade. <laughs> it's saying it is what it is, right? That you have, you know, a certain demographic that continues to be the hiring managers and the leaders within the organization, and they're making the, the certain type of decisions that impact groups disproportionately. But we have an opportunity now when we know the facts and can just verbalize it and deal with it and lean into the discomfort of it to do something different mm. and do it together. But without being real about it, we can't address the real issues. So I want to give a, a quick shout out to Emmanuel Acho. If you have not read his book, Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man, you should absolutely mm. check that book out and read it. And what made me think about that is we have to be willing to get uncomfortable. We yes. got to be willing to, to get uncomfortable. And I think to your point, we have to find that comfort in professional spaces, right? It, it has to be in the places and spaces that we're navigating on a day-to-day -day basis because that is where the issues are being faced. That's where the challenges are having to be overcome. And so to your point, I think there has to be some level of humility that goes into this exercise. Mm -hmm. but, but then also there has to be, more importantly, in my opinion, just a deep level of empathy, right? And yeah. You know, yeah. for me, as, as someone who has been on both the the receiving and the transmitting end of these conversations, that, that is always yeah. how I try to approach these topics is with, you know, an open mind and a listening ear. And, um, you know, so I just, I agree wholeheartedly with, the, with, with what you're sharing. And I want to go down this road a little bit further because okay. yeah. is it okay if we, can, can we, can we get, to the raw core root of some of these tough challenges. Uh -huh. Okay. So let's go. I'm so ready. if you are, if you're a white manager, right. And you yeah. are working with a person of color and uh -huh. you don't necessarily feel comfortable having conversations uh -huh. around performance or having conversations around, you know, We'll just say performance. We'll just keep it there for now. Yeah. Okay. What's your recommendation to that to that manager to help bridge that that gap? And very quickly after that, because it's a two part question, 
Uh I want to flip it Uh and and ask you the same thing from the employer perspective, because we hear that a lot, too. And so I'd love for you to unpack the dynamics of that relationship. So I think we have to get to, to the root cause of why is it that I feel uncomfortable. If I'm, if I'm the, let's say I'm the white manager, why am I feeling, feeling uncomfortable? What am I afraid of? What, what do I think is going to happen if I have to, to deliver? Because usually it's around delivering bad performance evaluation, right? Like I, I got I to gotta give you some pointers on what's not going well. Because if it was just a glowing recommendation, you'd be like, okay, this, this is fine. But usually it's I have to give you a mixed bag of like, hey, you're doing well here, but here are some areas where we got to do better. And there's fear. Brene Brown talks about this all the time about how much fear drives how we engage with each other. And so I got to step back and go, what am I afraid is going to happen? What tools and skills don't I have to be able to navigate this conversation? And then how am I also preventing this individual from growing in their career by holding back information Mm -hmm. that would allow them to improve and become a better professional, right? And if I feel that I'm not able to choose the right language or right tone to be able to deliver it, then I need to be using my HR business partners. I need to use my colleagues who are probably good at developing this. I need to seek out external coach, right? To help me make sure that I'm delivering in a way that is inclusive and respectful, but also real. Right. And authentic. So, you know, and men do this with women all the time. There's an article where uh, that was written, I think, with New York Times or it might have been Harvard Business Review, where men are refusing to give women feedback out of fear that they will be called sexist or things of that sort. We're doing the wrong thing. Mm. We're absolutely doing the wrong thing. No one's asking for special treatment. We're asking for respect and intentionality and empathy and care for who we are as human beings. And it has everything to do with how you deliver Bad, you know, not bad, but constructive criticism. On the flip side of can, that, can I, can I, from can, the employee can I, can I pause back. you right there? Because I think you, you are, yeah, you are dropping yeah. some dimes right now. And I just, for all of our leaders who are listening to this conversation, I think this is, I hope, I hope if you find yourself in this position, you can, you can, you know, rewind, replay some of the tools that you can put in your toolkit. But this is, mm-hmm. this is a leadership responsibility. It is incumbent. It is incumbent upon um, you as a leader to be able to deliver that constructive, that candid feedback. And then I love the way that you dovetail because Mm -hmm. as a leader within the organization, you are shepherding the professional growth and development of those that are under Mm -hmm. your charge. So mm-hmm. regardless right. of whether you identify with a certain background or sexual orientation or, you know, whatever the case may be, there is a responsibility yeah. from a professional standpoint to take that ownership and take the onus to provide that person with that feedback and give them the opportunity to improve. Right. So I just wanted to pause you right Absolutely. there because it's such an important, it's such an important perspective to carry and... Like I said, I, I think that was one of the greatest learnings that I got a chance to experience in the military is you're going to come across people from all different backgrounds, all different experiences, right. and you realize right. that they are looking to you for that guidance. Mm-hmm. They are looking to you for that mentorship. And so you owe it to them to provide it in the best way that you can. 100%. And I think a big part of that relationship is, is about trust. 
right? And so if I'm fearing that I'm not going to be able to deliver this well and that they're not going to take it well, that tells me that there's a lack of trust between you two. And so I would go take a step back and go, how do I build trust with my direct reports? At Headspace, we don't just do bi-weekly or weekly one-on-ones. We also do monthly check-ins. So there is so much opportunity for a manager to get to know their direct reports, to know from them from their role and what is a barrier or what's what's working, but also their personal and professional development goals. The more we engage, the more we understand each other, the more trust we build with each other. So when I gotta come back and go, hey Cornell, so <laughs> let's talk about how that project went, right? But not only, hey, this didn't go well. How can I help you as your supervisor develop and do the, and, and how do we do this better together? Right? Because because not only are you delivering that feedback, but you're saying, hey, you're not alone, right? I'm here to support you. Let's talk about what that looks like. Those are the conversations that we're not having. People drop the drop drop the mic and then walk away. So then I leave feeling like crap because I feel like I'm alone in this, right? Versus like, hey, here's some resources. Here's here's how I can support you as your manager. So so what you're telling me is that trust and rapport are also built outside of times of conflict and chaos, right? Absolutely. That's what you're telling me. Absolutely. It has to be intentional. Mm. It has to be intentional. We have to do that from the onset. The minute I start a new role or inherit, hire a new person, what does the trust building activities look like? How do I make sure that they know I am here for them, I'm here for the business, and I'm here for what works for all of us, right? And how can I help you get to where you are? One thing I always tell people who work for me is that you will not be working for me forever. And in fact, I want to see you probably gone within two to three years, going to somewhere next. Mm. What's the next level for you? Because if I'm holding on to you, I'm, I'm, I'm halting you from being great. That's not, that's not what I'm about. I want, I, want, I, want, I want you better than me. I want to work for you someday. So how do we get you there? Come on now. That's critical. Come on now. Let's flip the table a little bit. Let's flip, the t- let's flip the table. Yeah. So from an employee perspective, uh-huh. right? If you're, if you're an employee mm-hmm. from an underrepresented group within the organization and mm-hmm. you find yourself at a juncture where something just doesn't quite feel right, mm-hmm. you can't place your finger on it, you, you, you don't quite know what it is, but there's something that just does not sit well. How do you yeah. how do you move to a place of empowerment where you yeah. can raise the issue? Oh, this is a this is a good one. You know, right now at at uh, Headspace, we're, we're talking about psychological safety and what it, what that entails. And you know, I think in a perfect world, I would tell people, hey, you got, when you're feeling like something's not right, you you, you got to go to your supervisor and say, Here, here's what I'm noticing. I'm noticing X, Y. I'd like to see us do this, right? Or I might go to my HR business partner. Here's what I'm noticing. Here's what I'm experiencing. I want to think about how we can get here, right? That's a perfect world. But I think that when it comes to historically excluded groups, we cannot ignore the reality of how we have been treated and are made to feel when we choose to advocate for ourselves, right? And, and this is not just a, you know, um, simply people just see you as a complainer, but that impacts your reputation, it impacts your promotion, your growth, it impacts you long-term. And so many of us are always thinking like, okay, well, I, I wanna say something, but I can't. And so for me, so I can only speak for Cornell Day Howard Woodson, right? For me, I have decided what is for me is meant for me and will always be for me regardless. Come and so on, if I can't speak up here 
then this isn't the place for me, but there is a place out there for me. But I also, I got to recognize the privilege that comes with that, right? I, ha- I have the, the savings to be able to say, hey, I can go when I need to go. I have the network to be able to say, I can go when I need to go, right? And so there's a, there's a, there's a lot of privilege there. But I think at some point we've got to, one of the best advice I ever got from a, another black man, another person of color, uh, was that you are the CEO and chairman of Cornell Verdeja Woodson Enterprises. Come on, come on now. And you've got you've to make the decision that works best for you and your family and things of that sort. And that may mean deciding that this isn't the place where I'm going to be able to grow and be able to be my authentic, authentic self. And I have made that decision several times. Right. I have made it. I have left the job several times when I was like, this isn't the place where I'm going to be able to be my authentic self. And that's important to me. Right. So but I had to go through some self-work to get there. I had to be able to look in the mirror and go, I matter. My voice is important and I'm not going to allow people to shut me down. That that took me time. But we got to start. And I think that's critical. I think that's the self-work we have to do. The other part of that is the environment, because I firmly believe that. The self-empowerment isn't the only spoke in the wheel. I can have all the empowerment I want, but that system can still shut me down. The difference is I don't internalize it. That's the difference for me, right? Whereas though before I used to internalize and go, oh, well, I'm not good enough or, oh, well, you know, that this isn't, you know, I, I, I'm never going to get anywhere. I go, nope, that's, that, that's, that's you, but I'm going to keep pushing. And I think that's where we have to get to. So what I love about that perspective is there's two sides of the equation, right? There's the internal narrative, which we're continually working on over time, right? My voice matters. Mm -hmm. My opinion matters. I deserve to be in this room at this table, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And the other half of the equation is the understanding of the environment and realizing that you still got to plant your seed in some fertile soil, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, if, if, mm-hmm. if that soil ain't being watered, you know, we, we may have to look mm-hmm. for some more fertile, fertile ground. And so I really love the dynamic that you just introduced and really just the self-awareness that you, you've kind of yeah. shared. Can you give our listeners a little bit more insight into that personal journey for you? Um, I know yeah. as I've connected oh. with our Breakline community, there are so many people who are striving to find that deeper sense of empowerment. And it is an absolute journey. And so if you could give us a peek behind the curtain as to how you've Mm -hmm. been able to make it to where you are today, would love to hear some insight there. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And and, and I want to, and something you just alluded to is that like everybody's journey is going to be so different. Right. And so, you know, this, 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 this was mine, you know, I, 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 let me go back a little bit to like, you know, 10 year old Cornell. I was bullied. I was, I was the school faggot that that was my nickname in middle school. Right. Like that, this is kind of experiences that were embedded into me, into my psyche of how I saw myself, right? And back then, I didn't even know I was gay, right? I was just living life, right? And so you receive all these messages that begin, it's called the cycle of socialization, right? That begin to inform how you see yourself in the world. And so, and that's what, because by the time I got to a point where I was ready to break loose of those, of those chains, that was 26, 
So now, now you've got 26 years of this cycle of socialization beating you down where to a point where I would, my friends would tell you, I would look in the mirror and I hate what I was seeing. Right. And I, I hated who I was. Right. I wanted to be better. I idolized people who I saw in the public who had what I wanted and things that sort, but didn't like me. So that journey was first realizing that this wasn't healthy. This wasn't healthy and surrounding myself with the right people. So my best friend Tatiana, my best friend Candace, right? You know, people who are your hype people, <laughs> right? You know, LinkedIn would call it that first ring in, in your, your circle of influence. The people who remind you, uh-uh, stop that. You are dope, right? Those people help to re- teach and reframe all that crap that I had before. Mm. So that network is so critical to me. So, you know, if you got people in your life who ain't, who aren't bigging you up and hyping you up and celebrating you, my encouragement, get push them either out to the second or third ring or get rid of them all together. I want people around me who are like with me, celebrating me, shouting my name and things like that. I'm, I'm going to do that for them as well. Yeah. So that, that was critical. That was critical because even at, in the journey, when you fall back down a couple of rings, you need them going, uh-uh, got you, right? I'm gonna, let's lift you back up. But then there was the constant reminder. I literally would talk to myself in the mirror at the beginning of each day and say, you got this, Cornell. Come on now. Your mistakes, from, your, your mistakes from yesterday are not who you are in totality. They were mistakes. Today's another day to do something different. You are not what those people say you are. You are who you want to be, right? Like they, and it's, it was a constant reminder. And I know this sounds weird to be talking to yourself, but like that's literally what it took for me. I had to say that in the mirror to myself. And then therapy, right? Therapy was huge for me to have somebody else to also remind me, like, why do you feel that way? Where does that come from? And what you end up realizing is that it comes from false narratives, <laughs> your, your view of who you are comes from complete false narratives, right? Um, so that, that was my journey and really keeping up with it. And now, ooh, I love myself. Love myself. And not in a cocky, egotistical way, in a confident manner in which we all should see ourselves, right? I know I'm imperfect. I don't believe in perfection, right? But I believe in always trying to do my best. That's one of the four agreements, right? It's to always do your best. And every day I wake up with an opportunity to do my best. Mm. I don't always achieve it, but I work really hard to do it. And, and, and that counts and that matters. So for those of y'all who might not know what, he, what he's referencing, Don Miguel Ruiz has a phenomenal book called uh -huh. The Four Agreements. Absolutely would encourage you to check it out. I know you're speaking to some people right now. Because I hope you, so. I hope you so. Spe you speak in my spirit. And the thing about it is, is I, is I love how you took it all the way back to the core and mm -hmm. said, hey, there have been so many false narratives that have been imprinted into my psyche yes. that we are undoing, that we're unhinging, that we're rewriting. And that's really, that's one of my favorite things I love about the Breakline community, right? Is mm -hmm. I, I think what you shared in terms of the importance of the tribe, right? The, the yeah. people that yes. are going to uplift you and to help you move yes. into your next great station in life. It is so important. Yes. It is so important. And yes. I think that's one of the, the things that I've noticed most about our community here is that it is such a diverse and empowering community and an uplifting community. And I think to your point, the first step in that journey is having the vulnerability to say, hey, yeah. 
I may be struggling with imposter syndrome. Hey, I, I might not yeah. feel up to the task at hand and then see the five to six to 10 people in your corner say, you absolutely got this Cornell. Of course, you. why yeah. wouldn't you be prepared to enter that place yeah. and space? And so I think the way that you laid out that journey was just so thoughtful that I really hope anyone who's listening to this who may find themselves in a similar predicament can just hear your evolution that has kind of taken place over time. Because I know it wasn't overnight. Absolutely. I'm it was no. <laughs> and, and guess what? I'm, I'm still working on it, right? There are still moments where, you know, my, my husband will catch me and go, you know, you're, you're, you're in that space again, aren't you? And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm in that space where I'm doubting myself and I'm questioning why me? Why am I here? Why am I chosen for this role? And I have to constantly do the work, constantly keep reminding myself because those, those external messages don't stop. Right. They keep coming in every once in a while. One gets in and it impacts you and you got to keep it's called maintenance. This is why I go to therapy even when I don't need therapy, <laughs> because I need to be reminded constantly that this is an ongoing journey always. And having the right now adding my husband to my my inner circle. Right. To uh, people who are cheering me on that. It, it makes all the difference. So I always tell people unfollow that person on Instagram. Unfriend that person on Facebook. <laughs> Kick that person out of your life. It's okay. Because if they really want to be in your circle, they will do what they need to do to show up better and differently. And it's, it's, and it's all right. I always say people show up for a time and a season. Come on. And they serve a purpose. I've had people who have come in and out of my life for a purpose, to teach me something, to show me something. And when, and when their journey is done and our journey together is done, we go our separate directions. And that's okay, too. Mm. Change is hard. You... Change is hard and it's uncomfortable. You preaching today, brother. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna write a book someday. I'm gonna write a book someday. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> so, uh, as we get ready to round out the conversation, can I can I brag on you for a second? That's okay. okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Because <laughs> yeah, I, go ahead. I know I know we're having I know we're having a bit of a casual conversation. But I, I do, for, for those who, who might not be able to pick up on the tea leaves, I do want to wholeheartedly acknowledge that you are excellent at what you do. Thank you. You are, you are, you are a, you. A, as a DE&I practitioner, as a leader within the organizations that you've been a part of, you have been excellent. And you were recently recognized as one of the top 100 DE&I professionals across the country. Mm -hmm. Congratulations on that recognition. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I would love to hear your thoughts in terms of what is the, what's on the other side of the value proposition for the business case for diversity? Mm. Because I know there's going to be some people who are going to listen to this episode with you as a, a diversity officer and like, oh, yeah, you know, we know diversity is good. We know it's great. It's the right thing to do. But can you just, mm -hmm. from your lived experience, share what you've seen on the other side of that value proposition? In terms of what is the business case? Mm -hmm, or mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, When companies yeah. get it you right. Know, <laughs> right. When companies get I mean, the thing is, the, the research is clear, right? Um that the that when companies get it right we see better performance from our employees because they want to be at work right they 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 want to be working on that product they want to work with the people that they work with 
right? So we get more from our employees and that automatically trans transitions into higher profits, higher revenue, more innovation and a, a better grasp of the market as well, right? That when an organization is really getting DEI right, people are flocking to them because they see themselves in their product, right? So if, if for anyone out there who, who the business case for diversity is like how we get them into the door, fine, l let's do that. So I know that your focus is on increasing that revenue. That is literally your job, right? So let's talk about how DEI helps do that. You got that innovation. You're bringing different people who, who represent different parts of the market who are telling you, here's what this group responds to. Here's what this group's, group needs. And we use that to build for everyone everywhere. That's one of our DEI values at Headspace is to build for everyone everywhere. And if we can do that, we get people to trust us and, and, and see us as, and choose us as their product of choice, right? And I think that's just, it, it, to me, it's just, it, it, the, the research is so clear on that. And for me, starting off there, for those who need to start there, I have seen leaders transition into the moral case, which is where we really want people at, right? Where, you know, they, they may have needed that business case in order to come to the table, but they stayed because they realized, you know what, this is the right thing to do. And I'm seeing how people are responding. I'm seeing how I, we retain people from historically excluded groups because they see that we're showing them. One of my English professors in college would tell me on all my papers, stop telling me, show me. And it's mm. the same thing I tell to our leaders. Don't, don't keep telling me, show me. Come on. That's what we're asking for. Show me. Mm. We might have some listeners tuning in from Missouri. You know that's the show me state now. You you, know, you can't just tell me. You got, you, got, right. you got to show me now. I need some receipts. Right. Show me. Exactly. Exactly. You know, one of the things that I've always just kind of advocated for and, and really tried to hold anyone who would listen accountable for is the day we start thinking about some of our diversity, equity, inclusion, and goals, the way we think about revenue, the way we think about mm -hmm. operations, the way we think about the lifeblood, any other tributaries uh, which lead mm -hmm. to the lifeblood of an organization. When we start looking at DE&I from that lens, yeah. that is when I think we will really see just a cataclysmic impact in this space. And because like I said, like you said, study after study shows, you know, we've all been a part of diverse great org hopefully we've all been a part of diverse organizations and just see the value of being a part of a diverse mm -hmm. team and so you know as we are really just sharing some of those insights with the leaders within the industry i hope it just continues to strike a uh, strike a chord as they're making these business decisions yeah absolutely absolutely you know this this that, that last question reminds me so much of my current supervisor uh, his name is Rick Jensen. He's our chief HR officer. And he leads in such a way where diversity, inclusion, belonging, you, you just feel it's at the forefront of his style of leadership. And so when you bring us all together, like we, we get into debates about what's the best decision to make, but we always leave loving on each other, right? Because we truly feel respected and valued. I got to say what I wanted to say. You may not have chosen my, my idea, but I got to come to the table and offer up my thoughts. And I think he's such a great example of what it means to lead with DEI and belonging at, at, at the forefront.
And so I'm just I'm thankful for for him. I'm thankful for you asking that question because it just reminded me of my current experience being able to really show up in my full Cornell Verdeja Woodson self. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> Brother, I appreciate you. I really do. I appreciate um, you. This was a great conversation. Oh, I really appreciate the opportunity. Well, so before we let you go, I would love to leave you with the last word. As you think about our audience, as you think about our listeners, what's your word of wisdom? What's your recommendation for anyone who may be navigating a professional transition, who may be mm-hmm. struggling to move to a place of a healthier balance, more a centered place in terms of mental health? What's your word of wisdom for our listeners? Have a self-care plan. Know what you need and what works for you in terms of what helps you to de-stress and and, and, and get out of that state of, of anxiety. And prioritize self-care. Literally put it on the calendar. I literally have time on my calendar for self-care. Because if it ain't on the calendar, it, it doesn't get done, right? And so that's first. I think the other thing, particularly when it comes to a professional transition, is that I think that we have to get better at knowing what our non-negotiables are. What am I willing to accept? And what are the things that I'm okay with a little flexibility on, right? And understanding, because those become your values. Those become what, what you use to guide every decision you make. So I have a set of values, and every time a new job comes up or a new opportunity to recruiter comes up, I go, does it check my boxes? And if it doesn't, then that's not going to be for me, right? And so having that, I think, helps give us a little bit more clarity and gives us some structure to how we're making the decisions that, that we're making. But above all else, take choose yourself first. Choose you because we need you and you matter. Mm. Y'all heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Y'all heard it here folks, first in the Breakline Arena. Cornell, thank you so much for carving out some time for our community today. This has been such a fun time. It's been such a pleasure. And for all of our listeners, if you enjoyed what you heard today, we just need you to do one of three things. Hit that like button. Uh Hit that subscribe button. And if it really touched your spirit, go ahead and leave Uh us a review at Apple Podcasts. We'd love to hear from you so we can keep the good news going. So on that note, Mr. Cornell, thank you so much for joining us in the Breakline Arena It has been a true pleasure, pleasure. and we will see you all once again on the high ground. This is Kenny Vaughn signing out from the Breakline HQ.